Welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show. We have got a very uh, interesting and exciting show for you today. Catherine Engelbrecht is going to join us for the hour. Uh, she's going to delve into a lot of different things, uh, what's going on in Georgia, her spiritual journey, and s some other topics, which I think you'll find fascinating. Welcome, Bill Quinn. He's our co-host with us today. Hey, hey good to see and, you, Todd. And we're brought to you by the Georgia Record at georgiarecord.com. Please, we are... Uh, very uh, happy to have the War Room Posse with us today, listening as well as Caravan to Midnight's audience and Conservative Daily's audience out in Denver. Uh, the show is growing and uh, we're getting a lot of great feedback. Please sign up for our no-ad subscriptions. Uh, we have 12 channels with the 13th coming on with the Montana Sentinel very soon. Uh, we're running to the sound of the guns where there is need for free press. And so please sign up for our no-ad subscriptions. You get access to our 12 channels, channels, global news without any ads. I know people hate the ads on their phone. Please also sign up for our newsletters. We send those out daily on some channels, others weekly, depending on you know how much content comes out. But uh, thank you for your support for CD Media and the Georgia Record. Before we get going into the interview with, uh, with Catherine, I'm going to play a, sh a short video from our sponsor, David Cross, at his investment firm. You know, we, we make a big deal on this show to buy from people who are supporting our values, and, and David is certainly one of those. So here's a quick brief ad. Hi, I'm David Cross, and you might know me from all the work I've done on election integrity, but you may not know that I own U.S. Asset Management, an investment advisory company where our job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we won't do is invest your money with big companies that are trying to push the woke agenda. If you have your money invested with one of the big firms, there's a pretty good chance your money is feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Look up U.S. Asset Management at us-am.com. So, Bill, uh, we're going to play. Uh, we, we sat down with Catherine this week, so uh, we're going to play the video. But do you have any comments before we get started? It was uh, it was thrilling to have her with us. It was incredibly gracious for her to, to devote this time. But more importantly, it allows um, you know our audience to get a broader sense of actually who Catherine is and in her vision going forward. So I think it's going to be a uh, just a great uh, a great video for them to be able to see. Okay, so we're going to roll the video now. We're thrilled today on the Georgia 24 show to have Catherine Engelbrecht. You know her from True the Vote. She's also got a lot of irons in the fire from a spiritual pilgrimage to Christian fellowship in Nicaragua and multiple lawsuits, we understand. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you for coming, coming on. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So I think our audience wants to know who is Catherine Engelbrecht. I mean, you are involved in a lot of things, but what's your background? How did you get involved in this? And let's go from there. Sure. Well, I started in uh, Crew the Vote in 2009 quite by accident. It was not intentional, uh, certainly not intentional to have it to turn into what it's become all those many years later. Um, prior, I was uh, involved in oil and gas. I uh, helped to run a machine. I uh, was a, you know, a mom, very involved in my kid's school and involved in church, uh, no interest in politics. Uh, and here we are, uh, you know, a decade on and things have been wild. I think you've said a time or two that you've been, uh, once you got involved in this, you started getting um, targeted and, and tried to, uh, folks tried to silence you. 
So oh, uh, yeah. you've really been through the gauntlet for how many years now? Well, for, well, I started in 2009. Prior to that, I, you know, I'd been in, had owned businesses, been very active in community, mm. never been sued, never didn't have reason to have a personal attorney. I just, just was living a very, you know, a very normal life. Um, after starting True the Vote and, and filing paperwork with the IRS within a month or two, I've uh, been sued twice. Since then, I've never, so since that moment, and then I guess that was in the official filing of paperwork was probably in 2010. So since that moment, I've never been out of court. Uh, I've, there are dozens and dozens of lawsuits targeting by five different government agencies and, uh, you know, IRS lawsuit that we ultimately won. That's all the back. I mean, a lot of people don't even know that about through the vote or all that we would we've been involved in so many things. Many people, I believe, think that through the vote started with 2020 or with 2000 mules or with conic. Mm -hmm. But I look back and I and I see the timeline and I believe that God's just used all that's come before and including 2000 mules and conic, all of that, and you know, in, in the prison and everything else, all of it to make us tougher for what's coming in 2024. So we are battle hardened and have the scars to prove it and are looking forward uh, towards that 2024 horizon line, which uh, I think is going to eclipse anything we've experienced to date. Uh, that's fascinating. So for those that uh, have been following our reporting, I think they, they know what's happened to you in the last 12 months, but you mentioned, you mentioned prison and that whole episode is amazing, but non understandable in a lawful world. So um, this stemmed from a uh, defamation suit from Connick, didn't it? Maybe you could just expand right. on what happened to you. Sure. It was a it was a civil case. They accused us of uh, defaming them with our comments. And we always believed that you know, in due time, the, the, the lawsuit would be dropped by them necessarily because we weren't defaming them. Everything we were saying was true. And it was just a function of how long it took to get there. And and so the case started out uh, as as has become sort of the, the standard for, for us anyway. We read about it in the press, uh, just like if we get to talk about the case with Georgia most recently, we read about it in the press. So we read about it in the press that there had been an ex parte TRO uh, enacted against us, meaning that the plaintiff, Connick, uh, went to a judge, a judge that a federal court judge that came out of retirement, uh, interestingly, to take the case. Hmm. And um, between the plaintiff and the judge, they decided together to enact a temporary restraining order without notifying us, without hearing from us, uh, without giving us any kind of opportunity to respond. And it was in court, or we were in court still wrangling over that issue of the temporary restraining order uh, when the judge decided to cross-examine both uh, me and Greg Phillips uh, oh, for hours and hours and hours, the, the, both the plaintiff and the judge himself cross-examining us, uh, leading to uh, a, a comment uh, that the judge just announced that if we didn't give him a name he wanted, he was going to put us in prison. And we were told that on a Friday and, and ordered back on a Monday morning to submit or be uh, jailed. And we chose jail. So they uh, put 
chains around us, uh, you know, chained at the, from the waist and the wrists and, and, and ankle chains. And we were in the county jail for the first day and then moved to a federal, um, a federal prison slash detention center. Uh, you know, and I say that only because we've gotten hit about, so, oh, it wasn't a prison. It was a detention center. Well, it was a room with bars and a concrete pad for a bed uh and we all wore orange and it certainly certainly felt like prison to me but um yeah i was in solitary confinement for that period of time which was very difficult for a variety of reasons i learned an awful lot in the relatively short time i was there i was only there in full nine days so one day in county prison and then nine days in solitary confinement wow and and then and then was um as was greg phillips and then we were uh, released by an emergency order from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, had had the Fifth Circuit not ruled as they did, we could still be there because the judge, in 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 taking an unprecedented move, but a move nonetheless that an Article Three judge who has lifetime tenure can can take, um, was to put us in prison without without bond. So there was no there was no way out were it not for the Fifth Circuit Court inter intervention. That said, it was bad. And I, it's there's a lot of stories left to be told about that particular chapter in our in our journey, but it's it pales in comparison to what our fellow countrymen are going through with J6. So I always like to just say, you know, it was bad. But what's what is still happening in this country relative to political prisoners is is far worse and i don't mean to ever suggest you know otherwise it, it what's happening mm -hmm. in this country in this new police state we find ourselves in is is uh yeah troubling. it's shocking you, you uh, take you piqued my interest there um with your mention of solitary confinement i, I went through you know resistance training in the military years ago and went through something similar but Tell us about that. I mean, it's people don't realize how impactful that is on a, on a human being. Do you want to talk mm -hmm. about that at all? Sure. I, um, it was very much a feeling of, first of all, you can't believe it's even happening. I mean, I went to court, you know, with, you know, business clothes and jewelry and, you know, I didn't think I was, I mean, I knew that I wasn't going to give the name but it still hadn't fully set in that the alternative really was I was going to prison. Um, even though that is what was, had been said it, until it happens, you're, it, there's still this sort of surreal distancing of, well, that can't happen because I've done nothing wrong. In any event, you learn real quick. Uh, one of the first things that I learned, it wasn't about solitary as much as it was, I don't have a whole lot of phone numbers memorized. And so you do get the one phone call to let somebody know that you're, you know, you've been put in prison. And even though my family was kind of on alert that this could happen again, it's to use the word again, it's just, it was surreal to be sitting there with the people that were checking you in. And here it is. Here's who do I call? What number do I even remember without my cell phone uh, was, was, was a really a uh, got in your head real quick um, being given your, your uh, the clothes that you wear and the, the, your mat mattress, you know, which is about that thick and, um, and a blanket and having them be, I mean, let's just let, I will say nicely, not clean. They were not clean for years. 
every kind of a thing you could imagine on, um, it was, so uh, th that just that was a real rude awakening. But then solitary, I was put in medical, uh, what was called medical solitary, uh, because they didn't have a place to put me. And, and the, 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 you know, I was there on a, you know, seminal, uh, excuse me, uh, civil contempt of court. So it was very different than what other people were there for, which were the place we were is the place that after you get your third or fourth felony conviction, you go there before you're put out to your sort of final destination for your full sentence. So it was murderers and big time drug stuff and gangs. And it, it was really uh, intense. So I wasn't put in with the normal population for the most, most time. So when there were things like medical stuff that had to, or that did happen, you know, then I was mixed in, but, um, but, but my experience in solitary was, uh, first of all, the lights are never turned off ever. Um, the, in my cell, which was probably a maybe eight by 10, maybe, uh, there was a, a concrete slab and then this, they gave, they give you a little thin, um, mattress and, um, uh, then in my door, I had a, like a glass pane, uh, that made everything visible. Uh, so any, and because I was in the medical corridor, it was everybody walking up and down, men, women, all day long. Um, you have a, a toilet in your room that has a water fountain at the top and a sink. So you can drink water or brush your teeth or wash your face. And then the water that you don't use goes down into the toilet, <laughs> which is pretty ingenious, actually. Um, uh, you know, a shower curtain without a, or a shower without a shower curtain. Um, needless to say, I didn't shower while I was there. And, um, and that was it. But the, the, the thing I think that wraps it up for me the, and gets me really mentally and phys even physically back to, to those moments um, that I felt so deeply during that time was there was one occasion, uh, like the first night or so that I was there, and it was, it was like two or three in the morning, and all of a sudden we were called out for some kind of medical um, examination. And I guess it was something they did in the medical unit. I don't, I'm, I don't really know. But anyway, you get called out and I'm thinking to myself, recognizing that, that this exam is about to occur, like, how is this even possible that I'm here now? And um, the person in front of me may be sensing my discomfort in the impending experience, uh, turned around and said, just remember in here, your life's not your own. Mm -hmm. And it is so true. And even though I had great hope, I... I you know, getting into that eighth, ninth day, you, you start, I mean, even though that's nothing by comparison to what so many others have endured, it's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed even, you know, talking about it relative to what I know is happening right this moment to our fellow countrymen who have been imprisoned, you know, without parole and without due process. Um, but it, it, you quickly realize it's, you know, it's possible that people just forget and that you just end up here for a long time. And um, that would have been tough. It would have been tough. Yeah. It was there any, was, sorry, Bill, was there any uh, like uh, consequence for that judge at all? Or for his behavior? Question. So, so we uh, filed for the judge's recusal 
and he was he he, uh, he was recused. I think he recused himself personally, and then a new judge was assigned. And and after after that new judge was assigned, it was really a, a shift in the lay of the land because that judge really did want to understand the facts of the case, allowed us to um, begin to to tell the truth um, and not just be squared off in this in, you know, in, in, in a space with the plaintiff and a judge that really seemed to be working together to uh, try to take us out of the picture. And so um, things started to change. And then I think the single biggest thing that occurred that was the day before the case was set to uh, the last day of discovery they were going to have to answer all of our discovery questions and, and we were going to provide answers that we were very much looking forward to um, to all of to all of their questions and we posted a page on a, on a website called open inc open .inc, uh, that has become uh, it's a site that greg phillips and his team built for all kinds of research but for, for true the votes research we just didn't have a great way to display what we had and and so we used that as a um a one of the first things that we did on that website called a special collection and we just posted all the stuff that we knew and then the next day they they dropped the suit uh interestingly we're about to do something like that again but uh in regard to the state of georgia so it's it's our great it's it's a great it's a great privilege now to have a website that allows us a, a way to so clearly lay out this happened and then this and then this and then this and then this uh there's a big story to in Georgia to be told uh, that we haven't really spoken of publicly yet. And we are now. Well, that's great. So that brings up, you know, the action that seems to be um, starting, I guess, is a way to put it. You, you mentioned that uh, in your in your podcast, and I think uh, when you when you visited with uh, Steve Bannon, the, this case that seems to have come out of nowhere. So maybe you could expand just a little bit more on that. and. Um, Tell folks what's what's happening there and what may happen as we go forward. Sure, sure. So last week we um, again true to form. Um, I was I was asked uh, by via email by the um, reporter from the Associated Press to comment on Georgia's recent filing against True the Vote uh, in in uh, in court, and I didn't have a clue about it, and nobody did. Uh, it was. It, it, it was it's the latest in a string of events that started in Georgia in 2021 when we first went to the Georgia Bureau of Investigations and provided a ton of information and got nowhere with that for six, eight months, something something along those lines. And then they published a letter in, in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution saying that everything that we'd provided was curious but not anything that they could work with and um, you know, published the names of the researchers, did some things that were really uh, unfortunate. And uh, that then led to our filing complaints with the Secretary of State. Those complaints weren't addressed until those were, I guess, for, well, we have meetings with Secretary of State, then we went in uh, and, and, and filed those complaints, I guess, in November of 2021 um there was a little bit of back and forth with uh an inspector that they had assigned to the case didn't result in 
anything. And then two weeks before the movie came out in late April, we received four subpoenas, uh, myself and Greg personally, and then True the Vote and Greg's company, OPSEC. And, and those subpoenas were also released to the press. So we heard about them there first. And because they were not backed by anything, any sort of legal instrument, they didn't appear to be legally binding or appropriate or tied to anything. And so mm -hmm. our legal counsel just said, hold off and wait and see what happens here because this doesn't, this just doesn't even seem to be much more than a stunt. And so we didn't, we didn't do anything with it and didn't hear anything back from them until uh, I think it was late August, late April of this year with, with a uh, request out to our attorney to ask if we were ever going to respond to the subpoenas of a year ago. And so there was back and forth that went through that. And um, next thing they did was file this, what, you know, this sort of shell that suggests that they're going to try to compel us to, to respond. And, you know, if, if they get the legal pieces and parts, right, then we'll, we'll respond with what we can. It's, it's a little, sort of too little too late at, at this point. Um, the, the, the crimes that are pointed out in what we had provided via our, our complaints, I mean, those, uh, the, the, the statute of limitations on that has long since run out. Um, they have the, the video, they have everything we gave the GBI. They haven't done anything with it for years. So it shouldn't be lost on anyone that it's all happening now while there are grand juries going on, while we know that, that Raffensperger is, is cooperating uh, willingly, openly, you know, with glee, uh, with uh, the, uh, inspect or the, the agent assigned, the special prosecutor assigned to the J6 indictment of President Trump. Um, I mean, is it is it just is it just coincidental that we're now being drugged back into this? I don't know, but I mean, so so all that to say that you know just what we did with Conic when we when we share with the public everything that we could, um, we're going to do the same in this instance just to show people the the ups and downs of this timeline, and uh, a lot of things that have been said about us that we haven't commented on, a lot of things that were. Uh, taken out of context in the movie that we haven't commented on and we're just going to lay it all out and let people see for themselves what yeah. really what really happened at least from our perspective it seems it seems confounding to a lot of folks that you know after letting this lapse for a year or, or more that they come back and ask for this yet when uh, when one of our own counties Spalding County brings forward these bizarre um, uh, cases where, for example, a seeming piece of notebook paper was used in one of the BMDs and then run through the tabulator and the system accepts it as a, as a vote that it's, they're not supposed to do that. That one gets dismissed yet. They come after right. you after a year. So it's absolutely, uh, or, or, you know, now that it's common knowledge that in fact, Dominion machines are insecure and there are security patches that should be, you know, immediately, um applied but yet raffensperger says oh we'll wait till after the presidential election to do that but but we have resources to expend to try to give to try to force an organization to give them information that they already have 
Yeah. So we're fortunate enough to Georgia uh, in Georgia to talk to gosh many of the election integrity focused folks. And what we've heard more and more lately is what in the heck is it about Georgia that so many of these problems seem centered around right here? You know, we 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 uh, Todd and I went up and to the uh, SEER conference up in Washington D.C. Who's one of the key speakers? You know, Raffensperger. Um, the the issues with you know the the cases that are out there. The Halderman report uh, comes back and is released centered right here. The MITRE report that answers it without data, without study, you know, is written for us. It just seems like so much is centered around Georgia. Have you have you guys discussed that? Do you have any theory about why that might be? I know it's bizarre, but. Well, it's a, a, well, a few things. First of all, I'll say that, you know, your home state always, in certain ways, you feel like, you, you know, so much is, is happening in your home state that you're the center of it. Um, and, and, the, and, you know, and, and so broadly, I think people always feel like what's happening in their state is central to the bigger puzzle. In Georgia, you know, you really do have a, kind of a, an epicenter of election problems and um why that is i you're, you're lucky i don't know um <laughs> it's just you know uh I, I think it was such a shock to see georgia go blue and it was such a wake-up call to the people of georgia mm -hmm. and and you know would that citizens around the country take their their processes as um as seriously as georgians are where they are saying what what happened and they're digging in and that's why you're hearing more and you're 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 you know you're seeing these these struggles occur because people are asking questions for so many years nobody nobody asked anything it just you just all you know you have to you have to reach that that tipping point and Georgia reached it in 2020 and now you've got folks that are on fire to find the truth and that's a good thing um so I hope that other states, you know, take a lesson because, you know, coming soon to a state near you, Alabama and Texas, which are purple at best, uh, it, it can absolutely happen. Yeah, yeah. Catherine, I, I think it has to do with uh, probably Georgia is, um, you know, Atlanta was, sorry, there's some noise here. Atlanta was the, was a transportation hub in the beginning. I think it's a very strategic point for communist China uh, logistically, if they do try to, you know, either make us a vassal state or whatever. Um, but that, that's kind of why I think Georgia is, is so key. It, it, I mean, you know, without question, you see decisions being made by your administration that are aligned with Chinese Communist Party interests. And, um, you know, shouldn't be lost on anybody that, that, uh, that as you, as you point out, Raffensperger is, being featured in, in speaking in support of, of things that would seem to be against the uh, the freedom movement, uh, that Governor Kemp uh, has been a featured speaker at the World Economic Forum. Th those things don't just you know just happen coincidentally, and they're choices that could be made. They could choose to not participate in those circles, but they don't. They they choose the opposite. They are very engaged, uh, very aligned, and um, that doesn't seem to be in keeping with uh freedom right so following all the things that you just described you know these years of battle and 
uh, in court and battling for freedom and, and specifically in election integrity. And then this horrendous experience with, uh, with prison. Um, we were fascinated to hear that you were um, uh, going to take a pilgrimage trip through Spain. And uh, we were lucky enough to, uh, with your help, acquire some, some images of that. So I thought it might be interesting, one, to have you share how this came about, your thinking, and then something about your experience, if you, if you could. Sure. Well, I, um, I had decided about six or nine months previous to the trip, and I went in, in mid-April, uh, I decided that I, I just needed to get away and clear my head. And Greg had, had done this pilgrimage in 2019. Mm -hmm. And so it was sort of known to me in that way because he came back a, a change. He'll he'd tell you himself a changed a changed man. He, you know, he, he journeyed with God along those miles and and really really came back with a a focus and a and a sense of peace around himself that that hadn't been there before. So uh, I decided I would do the same thing and and I did. Uh, I was there from mid-May until, excuse me, mid-April until late May. And it's a 500-mile trek that has been been there for thousands of years. Uh, pilgrims have, have made this journey. And they journey, there's all, it's, it's called the Camino de Santiago. But mm -hmm. there are all, there are a number of different Caminos that all converge in uh, Santiago de Compostela which is uh, Santiago in Spain is the site of this beautiful church that is said to contain the, the bones of uh, St. James. And that's why people travel over these, these thousands of, of years and hundreds of miles. So my, my journey was, I mean, the, sort of the daily experience was you just get up and you, you walk for, you know, a, a period most people were walking 12 miles ish a day and you, you find an albergue like a very small um hotel or inn or hostel to stay in and then you get up the next day and do it again there are people that camp i was not one of those i was staying in the little little spaces little spots along the way mm -hmm. um but my mistake was that i thought my job was to was to walk it wasn't it wasn't really a I didn't look at it as, I mean, now I can see this upon reflection. I, I really should have, as they say, stopped and smelled more roses. I should have, I should have been a little slower in the process and a little more reflective and taken more time for prayer and contemplation. But instead I turned it into a, a new job. My new job was to walk. And so I walked about 20 miles or more a day, uh, clipped past 400 miles, was just doing great. And, um, and then I took a really bad tumble and I ended up in the hospital. And so those last hundred miles, I sort of combination limped and taxied through the, through the rest of the trip. And, um, it was an amazing journey. And even in the, that last hundred miles, I probably learned more those last hundred miles, not walking and learning, uh, learning a lot more about myself, but, I would highly recommend to anybody to, to take a trip similar to, to, to not maybe, maybe across Spain, maybe not, but this sort of time alone with your own thoughts did me a world of good. And when I came back 
you know, and hit U.S. soil, my my resolve was redoubled. Yeah, the, you can see from this picture, this is not walking down a, you know, a, a prepared path that's uh, nice no. and smooth <laughs> and easy. There's, heck, a lot of people would have have trouble making it two miles along something like that, and uh, think about getting through 400 is amazing. There's a there's a few of these pictures. Maybe you can describe sure. all of your experiences we go through. Sure. So this is what you'll see all along the trail, the, the, the yellow arrow or a seashell a symbol that marks the way. And, and Bill, you're exactly right. The roads are not, uh, sometimes you have a, a path that's, that's very clear, but most of the time it's, it's what's shown in this picture in the previous. It's just a path and you just have to stay on it. And um, so I think the next picture shows, oh, this is, okay, this is a sign I saw in, the, in a little, uh, little bodega little bistro type place and i thought it was precious don't be afraid you are superhero it, so, it seems it seems it. odd but very appropriate doesn't it there you go you are superhero <laughs> <laughs> this is an example of what you see along the the path um as i mentioned this the the, the symbol above that arrow is is a seashell meant to be a seashell and the base of the shell always points to the direction that you should be walking in. And uh, these markers were, took all kinds of forms. It may have been a, a concrete uh, marker like this or, or spray painted on a rock or carved in a tree. You just had to keep your eyes open. And it guided you, you know, from, from uh, Whoops, all across. That's okay, that, this is one of the, that's one of the churches. Um, when, Gre when Greg went, a big part of his journey, and I think one of the, the big di distinctions between his experience and mine is that he stopped in all these churches uh, along the way and every every village, almost despite how, how small the village may be, almost all of them had churches that were jaw-droppingly gorgeous. And in this particular church, I don't know what town it is, is was in, but I assure you it would have been a tiny town and the floor was just flats of wood floor. Um, very, very humble. But the altar area was were always so incredibly beautiful, and, and the the carvings and, and it was just so just such a such a spirit of holiness and reverence, and and it was absolutely the heart of of any village you walk through. But the difference between when I went in 2023 and when Greg went in 2019 was during that COVID period um, and during the continued sort of societal fracturing, uh, these churches began becoming vandalized. And so what I, when I uh, experienced, when I went on my trip in 2023, there weren't many churches open. So I tried to take pictures of everyone I, I could, could go into, but there were not many available, which is sad because they're just gorgeous. Well, what's the, what's the history behind this pilgrimage? I mean, I know it's... The uh, burial of St. James, but how did this pilgrimage come about over hundreds, thousands of years or, or what? Over over thousands of years. And yeah. it said that so the, the Camino de Santiago, the route that I took is considered to be uh, the most traditional, the original, and bones were discovered uh, and then moved across the country to the church in, in uh, Santiago. And it's, you know, and as you, as you, as you go through the, the towns on your way to Santiago, it's church upon church upon church. And 
the the all the all the communities know that and it's called the way there in, in Spain they refer to it as your your you're on the way and um, people people from all over the world go and it's common to find that they're there for something they're in search of something that they're trying to work out in their own lives and so there's a just sort of a, a bond that comes from that but I met people from all over the world and I but it's been going on for thousands of years so I, in doing a little research, my understanding is there's many different ways to take this path, mm -hmm. different dist distances, different different routes, and so yes. forth. You did you did one of the longest, I believe, didn't you? And uh, that's that's rather daunting. Um, I think there's a longer one that goes all the way through Rome, and but yeah, but it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely a long one. But but what you see there before you, I can remember taking pictures. I can remember taking pictures like this and thinking there's no way that the camera is going to capture how brilliantly green the fields were and how brilliantly blue the sky was. And so, I mean, that's a beautiful picture, but I tell you, when you were there, there's just some kind of, everything seems more vibrant. And mm -hmm. um, I just, I think those, those in the, 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 the fields would just, just sway with the wind and it was, it was just breathtaking. This is one of the churches. I don't know if this is in, I think this is in Lyon. Um, again, it's just the majesty, the, the, the fact that these were built, you know, over generations. So generations of villagers, you know, the, 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 the grandfather, then the father, then the son would all be working towards the completion of these cathedrals. And, um, and just a, such a point of, of pride within the the towns and, and clearly you can see why it's just just amazing the, the level of workmanship and everything else is amazing that's a uh, i believe this is a different picture of the same um yeah same cathedral i think so i think that's it so mm -hmm. um that's fascinating and then uh you you came back from uh, from that trip and then have been involved in some other um, revival and, and uh, pastoral activities since I uh, uh, was able to uh, to see some things that both you and Greg posted. And maybe we can, could we spend a little time on that? Because I find it even yeah, more fascinating in terms of the the breadth sure. of engagement. So came, you know, came back from that pilgrimage and, you know, right back into the frying pan of all things going on you know, here uh, politically, and somebody, uh, a, a mutual friend, sent some pictures to us of of uh, revival that was happening, and I didn't even know where it was. Greg sent me the pictures, and I said, I don't know where this is, but I, I want to go. I, I just felt like, you know, the need to to stay centered and focused around what really matters, which is in the end. Uh, glorifying God through your actions in this very limited time we have on this planet. Um, I, I just, I wanted to be back in that environment. And so uh, we, we went and um, went to Nicaragua, which is where the picture I had seen had come from and found ourselves involved in, in the uh, collaborative efforts of two ministries that are putting on the events all over the country of Nicaragua and 
it is shaking that country uh, in really beautiful ways, not just in the big communities. In fact, um, Managua, the, the, you know, the metroplex of, of Nicaragua um, has not even had its event yet. I think that's scheduled for November. So wow. these, these groups that are, that are coming together are happening in small areas across the country. And, you know, for the ones that we were participated in, each night about 500 buses came that did traveled hours and hours to get people there. And it was the most beautiful, just electric, blessed, holy, spirit-filled experience that I've, I've ever had in my entire life. It was, it was amazing, transformational. And you see the, just the crowds. This is from a different event. This is not an yeah. event that we were at, but um, I think this event, if I recall correctly, had about 45,000 people at it, which was more than, far more than they had um, expected would show up. And then with the event that we were at, the number was past 90,000. It, it, it's just, it's just amazing, just amazing. What, what struck me was reading the accounts and listening to, uh, uh, to you and Greg recently talking about the experience and, and how deeply it, it affected people. I mean, this was not a, you know, this was not a show up and, you know, everybody sing a little bit and then head on home. I mean, people had profound no, no. experiences. It, I've never, I've never been a part of anything like this. Um, I've been, I've been, you know, here in the States, I've been to revivals before. I've never been a part of anything like this when people came absolutely open and ready for hope. They just wanted there to be hope shared. And when that hope through the gospel was shared, uh, people, it, it, it just, it just, it just, you could feel it in the air. You could feel the love in the air. I've never, I've never, as I say, I've just never been a part of anything like it. Um, in addition, there were uh, healings after the gospel was preached uh, and people surrendered their lives and, and, and just became reborn in that moment. Um, there were healings. I've, and I must say, I mean, I've, I've seen on, you know, on television movies that mock this whole you know, idea that you could be healed and it's all a scam and that people are, you know, being, you know, positioned as sort of, uh, you know, stand-ins that are going to come up and say something happens to them and then the crowd is to react and then that's, you know, to, you know, to propel the ministry and, and all being very sort of done in a, in a, in a, in a, a way that is about, you know, deception. That's, that's not what happened here. And I can say that affirmatively because I was on the stage. I was with the ministers. I saw the people. I, I, I saw the, the whole thing. And, and people were being healed. And it, there were miracles. And you, you, can't, you can't see that and not be radically changed. And, um, and so, you know, coming back to the States and getting right back into it, uh, I find myself now more than ever before, um, and Bill, you and I have talked a little bit about this, uh, the, the times that we are in, uh, these are days of miracles, and, and God, God wants us to call on him and wants to restore this country. And my day has been totally reorganized, starting with reading the word and prayer, and then going into 
you know, the battlefront. Um, but it's, it's these moments here in Nicaragua that, that are a constant reminder of what's real and how to, how to find that place back uh, in me. Just do you think their history of communism had anything to do with this? I mean, because they were at such depths that they were so much looking for hope. Absolutely, Ab abs absolutely, yes, absolutely, yes. They and you know, and they see what's happening in, in the United States and say, "Please don't let it happen." We see, we understand what you're, what, what we, you know, people from all over the world. I've heard this from, but in Nicaragua firsthand, we see what is happening in your country. Don't let it happen. And. Um, and yes, they were, you know, we're all just, we're all just people trying to find our way. And um, God wrote freedom on our hearts. So when you have the opportunity and we're, we, the government was um, very much in favor of, uh, of, of these events. They were uh, very, um, as I understand it, I don't know all the particulars, but I mean, they wanted to understand what was happening uh, in the event and, and all of that had to be cleared. But in the end, I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. They allow for these events to take place and thank God for it. So, you know, uh, redemption is always the goal and, and a country can be redeemed. And I think that that's what we're seeing in Nicaragua right now. Yeah. It's interesting as we've gone through the, all the challenges, all the work, all the people, I'll say it, waking up to the, the depth of whatever you want to call all these problems that we're facing. One of the things that you see over and over and over again is every group that that forms ends up having a um, a belief, a belief in God, a belief in belief in Jesus, a belief in the necessary awareness of all of that as part of their um, mechanism, if you will. They they recognize that this is not this it's too pervasive, it's too convoluted to be simply a gosh we got a we got a bad leader here or there i mean this is much more pervasive and so they No, that's exactly right this is a this is a global war that, you know where we are we are you know fighting not against flesh and blood but against principalities yeah. and, and these are just the times in which we find ourselves it's very real it's a you know it's an odd thing for for folks to um accept sometimes because they're used to the I'll call it the material world that just seems to be in front of you every day, but there, uh, it's my belief, and I and I hope the belief of many that they're becoming aware of a bigger picture that they need to make sure that they're aware of and uh, and guide others into. Amen. So yeah. Lots of your work, especially recently, is is pushing and in, in helping in that direction. So. And it will um, continue to. It will continue to because everything else fades away. Yep. But. So as we look forward, there's a number of things that you're doing um, to help that process. And I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about those. Folks over the last um, year or more have uh, gotten used to thinking of, of your work and, and Greg's uh, as associated with uh, True the Vote and TrueTheVote.org. Um, but there's more now, and maybe maybe that would make sense to pivot to and talk about some of the other things that you're involved with, some of the other places folks can go both for information, sure. maybe maybe inspiration as we go forward. Well, thank you. So yeah, that's our website, which is actually in the process of being totally overhauled as it as it currently exists. But true the vote, you know, you're right. That's sort of how I'm known. Um, we decided to to build some additional platforms uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, we have Open Ink, 
which is that's okay yeah thank you open ink which which is uh has become the the repository for all of our research but also for hard to find research across all kinds of subjects we have maybe the largest collection uh of j6 information outside of just video uh we we have a thousands and thousands and thousands of documents around J6. We have all the Twitter files. We have um, things that have been found overseas that you can't find here that are just amazing uh, to, to see, like uh, General Patton's war diaries we found in a, in a library overseas that, that are posted here. Wow. Um, CIA files, FBI files, uh, you, you, you know, but it's, but it's just getting started. And what's so exciting about it is it's, it's creating a space for um, really good research to be aggregated. And our hope is that in the days ahead, as, as we believe things will become more and more difficult to um, resource and find just on Google based platforms that, that open ink will, will fill a, a gap that people can rely upon. So there's, there's open ink. And then there's um, onward.social, which you, which you showed. We built a platform that uh, allows for my podcast, Greg's podcast. We have a joint podcast that I'm going live on in five minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, uh, also um, uh, book club and uh, there will be a Bible study. We're posting movies there. You can find 2000 Mules there for free for anybody that hasn't seen it. Uh, there's a, there's a, social component to it and it's just a frankly it's a it's a place that we won't be deplatformed i've grown weary of building things up and having them torn down uh, this is a place that we can continue to build and it right now it feels a little heavy on the greg and catherine side that's not the goal the goal is for it to be a community and for other voices to have their own have their own space to be heard in a in a place that they can't be canceled and um, and we're doing uh, there's and there are other things, other projects that are going to be coming forward uh, soon that are all towards these ends of parallel economies that can't be can't be canceled or, or shut down. And so um, all in anticipation of what's what we believe is coming in 2024. So I, I can tell from your comments that there this story has many more chapters to it as we go forward. Oh. Um, we would we would love to yeah. uh, to have you on um, as often as you would like to be with us to to help share that and help folks maybe um, prepare in the proper ways for some things as as this continues to evolve. The I think the sense of um, the importance of the next certainly the next 15, 16 months and beyond is uh, is growing in people's minds. Four hundred days. Is that I mean? Can you even? fathom it's it's 400 days and and it's or thereabouts and um yeah it, it's, it's going to become more and more intense and we have taken so much time just building platforms and you know reshuffling the deck you know re recalculating recalibrating and and feel like we're we're finally to a place where some of this that we've been working on for so long is has is coming together and it's coming together for for this time so um yeah. and, and and we'd love to be with you as long as as often as you've had us we're we're thrilled to be a part of it you guys are doing such important work bringing out so many good stories and and uh, creative destruction has become such an important voice to the freedom movement so thank you for all that you do
That's very gracious. Thank you, Catherine. Todd, any last thoughts? Uh, well, I'll just say you said something in the beginning that, and I know you got to go, so we'll jump, but um, you said you had felt like you were prepared for this moment. I think we all have come to that same conclusion that the whole life experience was really built to get us to this point. So you're not alone. That's in that, right. Really. But mm -hmm. Thank That's you right. for joining us, Catherine. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. We Thanks look so much. To so time. good to see you guys. You Thank you Take so care. much. Take care. God. What a fascinating interview, Bill. Yeah, I uh, I was touched when we um, were with Catherine and in, in doing the tape, and I was touched again just to hear the things she covered. Um, and I hope, as we sit here, that that folks one have a better sense of the resolve that both Catherine and and Greg and their teams and so forth have shown. But uh, hopefully, find that in themselves because. Um, you know, you, you look at what's happening now and you can see that uh, this is a fight. It's a fight on multiple fronts and everybody needs to understand it and be prepared for it and do what's True. necessary. And so I think Catherine is an amazing uh, leader and uh, an inspiration for that. So you, we want to talk about a few more things. Why don't you jump into that? We're talking about Georgia and, and some other issues. Yeah. So uh, just quickly to Catherine mentioned that they're going to be releasing information as they did um, in the last few months regarding Connex. She's going to be releasing uh, information regarding <clears throat> these dynamics here in Georgia that have resulted or appear to be resulting in this um, subpoena that uh, may be sent to uh, uh, to True the Vote shortly. As that becomes apparent and as those facts surface, we're going to be reporting them through uh, through the Georgia record and, of course, through future broadcasts of, of this show. So um, a couple things on the national front, too, really struck me this week. And I thought we'd talk just for a minute about that. So Laura Ingram uh, this week went to the extent on Fox News of releasing a monologue in which she stated almost as an instruction to President Trump, stop talking about 2020 and said it would be seen as whining and would um, in, in some ways, a road support for him. To me, it seems like her analysis was quite flawed because his support does not seem to be dis uh, diminishing. In fact, it continues to expand and expand both um, against Republican contenders and against Democrats as well. Um, in the latest poll uh, that was released, the Harris uh, Harvard-Harris poll, Trump was favored by 52%. In second place, DeSantis is now shown down to 12%, barely above uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's, who's at 10. So more interesting to me is his progress with Democratic voters. Um, and, and within that same Harris uh, Harvard-Harris poll, Trump beats Biden by 5%, 45 to 40 so for those who wonder if uh, Biden, given all the things that are emerging right now um, regarding bribes and selling influence and the other things that are coming out through the uh, through the House hearings, if they're wondering whether he even makes it to November 2024, Trump also beats uh, Harris, the vice president, if she were to become a candidate by 9%, so even more. So some people may find these results surprising, but the poll methodology that... Uh, Harvard Harris used is actually very rigorous. 
It's based on the responses of over 2,000 registered voters. And for those uh, poll enthusiasts, many know that uh, many polls come out and they're, they're based on the views of 500 to 1,000 people, sometimes 1,500. 2,000 well, is a very rigorous poll. You know, we, we did a lot of polling last cycle and it cost us a lot of money. We're going to start that up again soon because we think it's important. We have the best pollster out there, Richard Barris at uh, Big Data Poll. So the CD Media Big Data Poll will start again soon. We're not exactly sure when, but it really, you know, it's all about the methodology and not overweighting Democrats, et cetera. And sure. we've been some of the most accurate polling out there. So we're going to start that again soon. And, uh, you know, what else do you got, Bill? You had one more subject you two, want to talk about. Yeah, two more things. So back here in Georgia, uh, following the release of the Halderman Report now a couple of weeks ago, activists have continued to push their counties and election board leaders to consider a move to paper hand-marked ballots and hand counting. Um, interestingly, Spalding County has announced a special called meeting for tomorrow, Monday, to include a discussion of election integrity measures. What those are, we don't know yet, um, but it will be fascinating to watch what, what comes out of that. And then following Fulton's refusal now twice to appoint a GOP nominee, uh, nominee to its board of elections, we're carefully watching as additional reports surface around certain county commissions appearing to actually waver from election board appointment laws and standards. So as again, as more becomes confirmed, we will bring it forward and uh, we'll have it both in the Georgia record and here. So that's it, uh, Todd, back to you. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we'll, we'll be back next Sunday for our uh, new audience at the War Room Posse. We'll be back Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern. You can find us at georgiarecord.com, at cdm.press, or hopefully again on War Room in the future. Uh, thank you again, everybody, and we'll see you next week.